The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Yeah, It's That Bad. Tonight's movie is 2009's 2012, directed by Roland Emmerich, starring John Cusack, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Amanda Peet, Oliver Platt, Tandy Newton, Danny Glover, and Woody Harrelson. 2012 is a 2009 science fiction disaster film. The film includes references to Mayanism, the Mesoamerican long count calendar, and the 2012 phenomenon in its portrayal of cataclysmic events unfolding in 2012. This movie currently holds a 39 on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a quick plot synopsis? Several years before, geologist Adrian Helmsley comes across information that shows the world will come to an end in 2012. No announcement is made, but the G8 countries begin to prepare for the event. Jack Curtis is a divorced and less than successful writer. While on a camping trip with his children in Yosemite, he meets Charlie Frost, who is preaching that the end of the world is at hand. A series of events lead Curtis to believe what Frost has told him. He heads for China, where the industrialized countries have been working on a response to the impending disaster. Okay, Martin, 2012, the mother of all disaster movies. What's your history with this thing? I guess I saw it on HBO, and uh, I didn't really remember much of the story going into it. And there's a lot of reasons for that, and we'll we'll get into that, I'm sure, as we continue. But uh, what is your experience with this movie? Just I did not see it in the theater. My only experience with it is I remember the marketing campaign for this movie. It was extremely aggressive. Do you remember how they showed like the first five minutes? Like that was the trailer. Like they showed like the whole opening chase sequence. Yeah, through LA. Yeah, and I remember thinking to myself like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is really exciting. Like I had chills in my seat and I was thinking, wow, that was amazing. But you know what? That's probably the best thing in this movie. I don't know if I need to see the real thing. Was I right? We'll see. (laughs) Do you remember this? Comcast had also organized a roadblock campaign to promote the film, where a two-minute scene from the film was broadcast across 450 American commercial television networks, local English and Spanish language stations, and 89 cable outlets, with a 10-minute window between 10.50 p.m. and 11 p.m. On October 1st, 2009, The scene featured was the destruction of L.A. Variety said that the stunt will put the footage in front of 90% of all households watching this. Wow. That is uh, aggressive. That's like an understatement for a word. Extremely aggressive advertising campaign. There were so many of these disaster flicks that came out around that time. I, I have trouble remembering which one is which. Is this the one that said 2012? Google search 2012. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, this is it. Oh, yeah. It said... Uh, <laughs> that was like their ad campaign. It's like, type 2012 into Google. Yeah, the trailer ends with a message to viewers to find out the truth by searching 2012 on search engines. I remember being really annoyed by that when I saw that. I thought that was really pompous. Okay, so let's do what we always do at the top of the show and discuss the actors. You know what? Normally we usually do with the actors, but I'm tossing in the director in this because this guy, <laughs> this is the first time he's appearing on this show and I can guarantee you that it's not going to be the last. Roland Emmerich, the master of disaster. What do you think? This is the last disaster film he quote unquote says he's ever going to do. Yeah, right? he said that that's it. After this movie, he's done. No more disasters. I put Roland Emmerich in the same level as a Michael Bay. Like he, he makes really big flashy things that people want to see. It's not necessarily like amazing stuff, but there's a market for it and people want to see it. Uh, How about this? The next master of disaster, John Cusack. All right. How many movies have you seen where John Cusack is either running to or running away from something? Okay, next up, Chiwetel Ejiofor. This guy has the greatest name ever. Chiwetel, he's been in, he was in Salt, Red Belt, American Gangster, Children of Men. Okay, there we go. Oh, yeah, wait, wait. He was uh, one of the cult 
people that were trying to take the baby down, right? Yep, yep, yep. Okay. And he was an inside man and four brothers and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, he's he's a good actor. He he, he is he, he is a good actor. He brings a lot to the table, a lot more than this material demanded. Okay, next up, Amanda Peet. Meh. Yeah, I, I I know her name, but I don't really know her work off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really have much to say. She played the... How many lines did she have in this movie? Not much. She played the his- hysterical housewife character, so she, she did a good job with that. I mean, that's pretty much all there is to say about that. No, no, no. Stop, stop. She she did a horrible job with the hysterical housewife. Why? Because her freaking husband gets crushed in gears and well, she doesn't give a shit. Uh, all right, all right, all right. We'll get to that. <laughs> Oliver Platt. Yeah, I, I like Oliver Platt. He did a good job. He um when Oliver Platt appears in a movie for a split second, I'm like, is that Nathan Lane? Okay, next up, the old pro, Danny Glover. Danny Glover is uh not a very good actor, I don't think. He never has been. He's got to be like what in his mid to upper sixties by yeah. now. So I, I I don't think that's there's gonna be like some type of like transformation where he uh he's almost in the Quaid zone. I think almost Quaid esque. Is he? Ah. I mean, are like, you always happy to see him in a movie? No, see, that's why I said almost. He's not Quaid level, but you know, he's, he just comes in. He he reads the script like a dead tone, monotone, just like whatever. He doesn't care. Pay pay me. When I was younger, I thought I liked Danny Glover, but as I grow older, like I like him less and less. Like I saw this movie with him recently called The Night Train. Oh, he was not was good. And uh, finally, Woody Harrelson. Phenomenal. I can't get enough of this guy. He is. <laughs> Every single movie that I've seen Woody Harrelson in, in the past five years, every moment he's on the screen, I just got a huge grin on my face. Really happy. I get energized. I feel alive again. His, his acting is A+. plus. He definitely was the best character in this movie, and they squandered it. Just wasted. Like, he wasn't in enough. He should have been the hero. Just, just so everybody's on the same page, for those who don't know what the hell this whole 2012 phenomenon thing is all about. Here it is really quick. This is what it is. The 2012 phenomenon comprises a range of eschatological beliefs that cataclysmic or transformative events will occur on December 12th, 2012. This date is regarded as the end date of a 5,125 year long cycle in the Mesoamerican long count calendar. Others suggest that the 2012 date marks the end of the world or a similar catastrophe. Scenarios suggested for the end of the world include the arrival of the next solar maximum or Earth's collision with a black hole or a passing planet called Nibiru. Let's dive into this thing. Let's really get into the meat and potatoes of, uh, of 2012. What? There, 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 there is no meat and potatoes of this movie. Yeah, this, this is going to be a really tough movie to review since it's essentially just a two-hour-long tech demo, right? I totally agree with you, and... Uh... Yeah, I was talking to you about that before we even started. Like, this movie, it's not story heavy. It's not character development heavy. And so all we're left with is uh, being bombarded visually with, like, CG effects. And not for nothing, this the CG in this movie is good. There's so much backstory and so many characters in this movie, right? Like, way, way too many people in this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, we got John Cusack, his family, the stepdad, you know, everybody's parents, all this stuff. Like, there's there's this ridiculous, pointless subplot of these two old guys on a boat. There's all this stuff going on, these Russian people. Quite frankly, I, I didn't want to watch that. It was unnecessary. This movie is two hours long. That's an hour too long, I think. <laughs> 60-minute movie would have been fine. We had about 60 minutes worth of explosions, and, you know, I would have been happy with just watching explosions go on for 60 minutes. But no, but really, this is the same problem like Lost in Space had, like 88 minutes. This movie should have been a really tight 88 minutes, in and out, and we're done. And it would have been great. 
see they're they're trying to add like emotional uh content to the story but the story's so weak and aloof that it doesn't mean anything to anybody watching the movie it doesn't actually bring anything to it it's just a waste of time let's talk about the car chase this is the best thing in this movie right oh we can agree it was it's between this and the plane escape from la well, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm gonna the I'm, plane escape from Las Vegas. Oh, okay, okay. So we, uh, it cuts to John Cusack's family's home, Amanda Peach watching TV, and they have this awful Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonator, like reading lines and telling people that everything's gonna be okay. Yeah, so this really laughable impersonation that they got, and then L.A. is pretty much just destroyed in this incredible sequence right where he's in his car and and the earth essentially is collapsing in on itself it's really cool looking they're outrunning this earthquake essentially that is ripping los angeles apart and the effects here are so well done like there's all these little people running around getting killed my favorite shot is like there's like a a parking garage that's tipping over and there's cars are flying out of it. A bridge collapses and their their car goes directly underneath it as it like scrapes the top of their... Oh, like this is genuinely exciting. Like the first time I saw this movie, it gave me chills and it happened again when I was watching it this time. Like this is really amazing stuff. Like This is the best thing in this movie without question. The stepdad, it's said that he's a pilot. But he says that he's only ever flown a single engine plane. And he's taken lessons. Yeah, like a couple times. But he figures out how to fly. Like they drive to an airport and he figures out how to fly this plane like a pro. And and like the world he dodges, is collapsing he dodges around a him. building. A building. He dodges a building. Like a subway train flies out of, <laughs> of a tunnel into midair. And he just like dodges it. Like, wow, this guy, he's a fast learner. I, I have a question for you. You know, I, I'm no scientist, but isn't there like such a thing as air pressure? If you're flying your plane and buildings, I mean, full skyscrapers are collapsing around you, so wouldn't they like, be... the, yeah, wouldn't like the, the wind and stuff like push your plane down and kind of drag it along with it? I feel like once a building falls there, it would actually displace a lot of air and you'd have kind of like a little mini vacuum behind it and your plane would probably just drop. Yeah, it'd just fall out of the sky. In the same way that if you wave your hand underneath a balloon, it falls. So after they do this amazing escape, they go to what? what uh, they go back to Yellowstone looking for Woody Harrelson. Right? I guess so. Yeah, because they need to get a map that he has that shows where they're putting the arc. Yeah, great. I don't know how the hell he got that. Yeah, it's like, oh, I just happen to have a map, you know, whatever. And he goes and he gets it, and then Yellowstone explodes. But right? guess guess where the map is of? The map is of China and Tibet. Because apparently the Ark are being constructed by, I guess, Chinese slaves or whatever in the Himalayas. Yeah, you know, this, this whole Woody Harrelson thing, there's some interesting stuff that goes on in this. Like, first off, Woody Harrelson is this guy that spent his whole life trying to tell people about the upcoming apocalypse. And, you know, here it is. You think he'd want to survive it instead of dying? But no, he just allows himself to be killed. Yeah, so John Cusack takes Woody Harrelson's van and they're driving it around, right? And all these flaming boulders are falling all over the place, right? Now, okay, again, I'm no scientist, but when a, a volcano of that magnitude erupts, it would send those boulders into outer space, right? They reach escape velocity and then they come back to Earth with an extreme amount of speed, right? And energy, yeah. Yeah. One of the boulders hits the van and and like you think that it, it just explode and disintegrate. No, all it does is knock out the back door and it keeps driving, no problem. What's weird is like when a, a boulder of that 
size actually like comes back into our atmosphere, it's traveling at such speed that it's like comparable to that of like an asteroid or a meteorite. It would release energy similar to that of like a small atomic explosive. Yeah, because like I remember thinking about this like when Krakatoa erupted, it released the loudest sound ever in the, in the history of human existence. It was the loudest sound ever recorded on Earth, right? Yeah, people on the other side of the, the world. Yeah, heard they heard it. it. They heard it. So this is a much bigger volcano than that. I yeah, mean, yeah, really mag big. magnitude's bigger, but it's the, it's it's the same type of volcano. And John Cusick was like standing right next to it <laughs> when it exploded. You think that the amount of energy that would be pushed through the air just it would liquefy? Yeah, yeah. It, he he would have just exploded. <laughs> like at the very least. Any any area in his body that was hollow or had air in it would explode. And then the, the volcano lets loose this horrible volcanic death cloud. Yeah, that, like a pyroclastic flow that on average, again, I'm not a scientist, but, you know, I like to watch the Discovery Channel. Pyroclastic flows move around like 600, 700 miles an hour. I was going to say, like, you think <laughs> it, it would traverse huge distances in seconds, yet this dilapidated <laughs> junker camper van is able to outrun this... <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be a recurring theme in this movie that like the the disaster will uh, <laughs> slow itself down relative so to that, however you're traveling. So yeah, so after the camper van gets hit by the boulder, they drive to the uh, the, the runway, right? And like a, a huge gulf opens up and swallows the van. Now, the van is at a 90 degree angle <laughs> and the door opens and but he run, which means he had to like run up inside <laughs> the, the van like Samus Aran from Super Metroid running up, like, scaling it. It kind of reminded me of that scene from The Lost World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, (laughs) but no, no, it's like, it's a straight drop. Like, it literally is just a straight drop, yet somehow, what, did he fly out of the hole? They don't, they don't show what he did. They don't show, but they, they they show his hand with the map, and it's like, and then they're like, wait, wait, slow the plane down. He's coming out. Yeah, and the whole the whole time while he's spending five minutes climbing out of the van, this enormous cloud of death is just taking its time, taking its sweet old time. Yeah, it's, it it slows down for him. It's like, is, wait, 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 is, wait, is that, wait. Is that John Cusack? Oh, everybody, slow down, slow down, slow down. The, slow down. the Winnebago fell into <laughs> fell into a chasm. We have to slow down. He gets up and he's running. So they slow the plane down. He's able to run up to the plane jump in and literally five seconds later the plane takes off. They're so, out of there. So one of two things is going on. Either that plane can take off at 15 miles an hour or John Cusack can run at 120 miles an hour. <laughs> I just think John Cusack has some sort of uh, unknown power. Like he can bend time and space <laughs> and the laws of gravity because he seems pretty untouchable throughout the course of this movie. Oh yeah, and they're, and they're driving their, their airplane through the air. These flaming meteorites essentially are just like... <laughs> all over the place, right? And yet they somehow this rookie pilot manages to outmaneuver these things that are moving at the speed of light. <laughs> okay, so they go to Las Vegas and Vegas is like falling apart like everything else in the world. Of all the scenes in the movie, this kind of looked the fakest. Like when they were on the Vegas tarmac, it looked like they were on a green screen the most. Yeah, it did. I mean, this whole movie... The whole movie was, was shot very on a CG, green. yeah. The whole movie, I'm sure, was shot on a green screen. My favorite thing about all this is that the stepdad who can barely fly a regular plane... Now he helps to fly an enormous commercial <laughs> cargo plane. Notice as we're talking about this movie, all we're talking about are pretty much like the events, like the big special effect events. We're not talking about the the, uh, the touching interplay between Edgefor's uh, 
dad and him and all this other stupid stuff. Like, it's all pointless. It doesn't actually make me feel, it makes me feel less than nothing. Yeah, it was around this point. I wrote, this This is my exact note. I wrote, no more notes, nothing to say. I just don't care anymore, right? I just checked out. Like, I stopped. Some, something in my mind just clicked. And I thought to myself, you know what? I think this movie's done. Yet I looked to see how much time is left. It was an hour left. Okay, this was right after they left Vegas and they were flying over Hawaii, right? Hawaii was pretty much turned into the cover of Dianetics, just a <laughs> smoldering <laughs> volcanic ruin. It was at this point in the movie where I wrote my note, I want to go to bed right now. Man, this movie is long. Yeah, you were like fidgeting. You wanted to get the hell out of there. But I couldn't because it was my own room. Which is really amazing <laughs> if you think about it. Like, how can a movie that has so much destruction, so much death and carnage, be so boring. That's the ultimate 2012 phenomenon <laughs> riddle. That's actually quite amazing. I think the Mayans wrote about it, actually. Yeah, yeah. The, the Mayans knew. <laughs> Somehow the Mayans knew Roland Emmerich was going to direct the movie <laughs> years from now. It turns out that this cargo plane is filled with cars for the Las Vegas auto show. Really expensive. Heavy. The, the engines have to be super heavy because I'm sure they're very powerful engines. What most pilots do if they don't have enough fuel, they lose weight so that the plane is lighter and they can fly longer. Yep. Why didn't they just dump all the cars out? You know, there were multiple parts in this movie. Me and Martin were sitting next to each other watching this, cracking jokes the whole time as we as we're wont to do. Yeah. And uh, there were multiple parts in this movie where I cracked a stupid joke. I would say something really over the top and stupid as if it was a joke. And two seconds later, my joke would become a reality. And I would just be stymied. I'd be like, wait, what? Huh? You're like, you're like, yeah, I bet they're going to drive this car out yeah. of the back hey guys, of the plane. Let's jump into the cars and drive, drive out of here. It was at, I've already seen this movie. So I, I looked at Joel and I was like, you're going to get what you asked for. Man, I could not believe it. So they did jump into the cars and then they literally just drive out the back of a plane that's moving. God knows how fast. 300 miles an hour. Yeah. And they, and they <laughs> but they're moving in the opposite direction, probably at like 60. So they're, so that's a 360 mile an hour difference. I'd imagine the, the car, car just disintegrate yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not like the car just drove onto the ice. It fell like 20 feet. Yeah, it did. Onto the ice. This is, this, that was pretty amazing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's the best way to put it. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny. This is also the scene where they show helicopters taking tropical animals through the Himalayas. Just, just trans, like, not in, in the helicopters. No, no. The, the, underneath the helicopters. Like, like they have a giraffe fully exposed to the elements. In the same way that they did Operation Dumbo Drop, they have these <laughs> giraffes flying through the Himalayas. Now, the Himalayas, from what I understand, are, you know, around 20,000 feet. Mount Everest is 29,000 feet. That's the tallest feature on our planet. But at 20,000 feet, the oxygen is pretty thin. And I would also imagine that it's pretty cold. A lot of people die trying to get up there. These people are not... They're like running and... <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're running around. They're not acclimated to this climate at all. And they're in the same clothes they were wearing in like Las Vegas and LA. <laughs> Can helicopters fly at 30,000 feet? Oh, well, without, <laughs> without any... <laughs> like, is the air even thick enough for the, for, for, for the blades to push? Because, and, and not only that, they're carrying elephants. How is this happening? All right, it was at this point where Joel got up to go to the bathroom. I have already seen this movie. I want to go to bed. I was just really tired and I was sick of this movie and Joel had already voiced that he was sick of it. He went to go, you know, he went to go take a leak. Nature called. Yeah, nature called. And I was like, he's not going to miss any of this. 
So I fast forward the movie 25 minutes. <laughs> Whoa, is that what that was? You yeah. fuck. <laughs> I came back. And when, I, when I came back, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> How did they get here? Did, did that much happen in like two minutes? <laughs> oh, <laughs> what an ass. Yeah, but the movie sucks. So I fast forward it 25 minutes. I was like, let's just skip straight to the end. I was wondering why, how they, they got there so fast. <laughs> yeah, they, you were about to see what you missed was like them meeting up with like the monk and riding on a truck to the site. And the, God, I don't want to watch that again. I didn't even care. I was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> Full disclosure, Joel didn't know that I did that until right now. <laughs> <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> Is it? Was I really a dick or or a savior? Yeah, I'll thank you on my deathbed someday. <laughs> anyway, so we're at the ark right now, and this is this scene is equally as ridiculous as all the other scenes, which is <laughs> super ridiculous. You have thousands and thousands of people that are trying to get onto these arcs that were built on the side of. I guess K2 because they're about to crash into Everest after the wave comes, but not everybody is able to get on. The Russian boxer, I guess, redeems himself by tossing. This, this is the, this, you know, of all the absurd things in this movie, I thought this takes the cake. Like the, he tosses, now his kids are kind of fat. He, okay, he tosses no, that's, his kids. That's just that. That's just that. It's like, okay, so you know for a fact that the way to get onto the arc is through this kind of drawbridge situation, yeah. right? So what does the debt, so the, the, the bridge is going up. Right. So what does the dad decide to do? Instead of standing in the place where you know drawbridge is going to drop in case it should open, where does he go? He goes underneath it. Where he's going to get crushed by it. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and, then, and then like when, when, <laughs> when the thing starts to go up, he takes his, his kid and like, what, like, throw, <laughs> he throws him throws 30 him. feet into the air. Like he's a basketball. He like, throws <laughs> this fat little kid in the air. And then he, he himself falls to his the most comical death. <laughs> his facial I, expressions alone. I just started cackling like a <laughs> lunatic when he fell to his death. Like... The wave is about to hit. They readjust the countdown for this mega tsunami. Oh, yeah. That is going to somehow make its way up to the Tibetan Plateau. Okay, tsunamis can obviously be enormous. This one is, is taller than Mount Everest. Again, at this point, when they had this last final encounter with Mother Nature, I just cared less. I had no interest in it at all. Now, so, for some reason, the, the, the door on the third arc is stuck. Well, it's From stuck a for a reason. All right, so so John Cusack and his, uh, fa and his friends and family, they get onto the ship, onto the ark. Long story short, the stepdad, the guy that's been getting the short end of the stick this entire movie, falls to a horrendous death He's ground to a pulp in these gears. Yeah, he's, he's literally mangled in like an industrial accident type yeah. death where he's ground to a, ground by gears, by giant metal gears. Yeah, that are, these gears that open and close the drawbridge of the, the arc. And then like a, a rope falls in with them and like a power tool and these things all tangle up and they, they jam the gate. And because of this, they can't close the door. And since they can't close the door, they can't turn on the engines. And then this huge tsunami hits and water starts flooding in. I just don't know why they can't start the engines manually, why the, why the doors have to be closed. But it, it doesn't matter because somehow these gears can chew through a human being, but a, like a power, it can't get through a power drill. Nobody seemed to be too broken up about the fact that this guy was just obliterated. His wife doesn't care. No, at all. She's like, eh. <laughs> hey, I got I got John Cusack. Whatever. <laughs> All right. So, let, lo, long story short, it's it's flooded. John Cusack swims underwater to dislodge the power tool. Somehow, he's he was underwater for like eight minutes. I don't, I don't know, John Cusack, man. He he has lungs of steel or something because he was underwater for an extremely long amount of time. 
So any, a, anyway, to put to put an end to this long exercise in computer graphics, uh, the 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 arc is about to crash into Mount Everest, but he saves a day and they drive away. The end, right? That's it. Oh, oh! It turns out that Africa was untouched and it's the last continent remaining. I guess the Earth is reset or something. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So that's it. <laughs> that's that's the end of this this movie. I'm I'm done. I'm done with 2012. It it exhausted me. It pushed me to my limits. Okay, so uh, I got a couple of fun facts about 2012. Do you know there was an alternate ending originally? No, I didn't know that. The alternate ending is featured on the DVD. After Captain Michaels has told Dr. Helmsley that they have set sail for the Cape of Good Hope, he tells Dr. Helmsley that someone on the phone wants to speak to him. Dr. Helmsley discovers that his dad, Harry's on the phone with him. Harry tells his son that he... Tony, whose arm is in a sling, and a crew member survived the mega tsunami that hit the Genesis? Captain Michael's death. <laughs> Dude, the, tsunami that, the tsunami that hits the ship has got to be like 2,000 feet tall. <laughs> oh, you got to be kidding me. Okay, here's the next one. Speaking to Entertainment Weekly, Emery confirmed that a television series based on the film was in the works after the film was complete. The series was tentatively titled 2013 and would have served as a follow-up to the film. Emmerich stated in the interview, the plan is that it is 2013 and it's about what happens after the disaster. It is about the resettling of Earth. Yeah, this also got canceled though. No? What'd you think? Would you watch a TV show about this? It sounds more interesting than the actual movie's plot. Here's the last thing I got here. There was a news article floating around back in January 2011 that states... NASA calls 2012 the most absurd sci-fi film ever made. Okay, so supposedly here are the worst sci-fi movies ever voted on by NASA. Okay, number seven, what the bleep do we know? That movie is stupid. That, that, that movie's a lot of, uh, you know, stupid, new-agey, metaphysical mumbo-jumbo. Yeah. yeah, number six, The Sixth Day, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. I saw that in the theaters, man. That is a piece of junk. I love that movie. Oh, you, you would. <laughs> okay, number five, Chain Reaction. Isn't that the one where Keanu Reeves discovers called Fusion or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he outruns a, a fusion explosion <laughs> on a dirt bike. <laughs> yeah, that's the most ridiculous part. Keanu discovering cold fusion. Number four, Volcano. Oh, another classic. Okay, number three, of course, Armageddon. That is a true junker. I hate that movie. Okay, number two, The Core. Infamous movie. I've never seen it. Have you? I saw parts of it. That's like where the, the Earth's core stops spinning. Or I whatever. saw the scene where they like get into a giant geode, and that's when I just turned it off. <laughs> I think that's. I was like, that's it. I think we, should, it. we have to review that movie for the show at some point. Number one, 2012. Let's see what the real critics had to say about 2012. Beware 2012, which works the dubious miracle of almost matching Transformers 2 for sheer cynical, mind-numbing, time-wasting, money-draining, soul-sucking stupidity. Peter Travers, Rolling Stone. Wow, he really did not like this movie. If the viewer were ever invited to think or feel about what's happening on screen, the movie's wow, whoa, ain't it cool momentum would collapse in a heap of horrific preposterousness. Tom Morstad, Dallas Morning News. If, as is believed in certain fringe circles, the world will come to an end in 2012, at least there will be no more movies like this one made. James Burradinelli, Real Views. And finally, I can't claim to have seen every terrible film in cinematic history, but in my fairly extensive watchography, 2012 is certainly in the top five worst ever. Sam Bath, Fan the Fire. What do you think of that? That is a scathing.
I got a question for you, though. This movie was critically hated, but so was Transformers 2. But Transformers 2 did very well in the theaters. How did this movie do? All right, Martin, this movie cost $200 million to make. How much do you think it made? Uh, probably like double, maybe more. This movie made about $770 million. Absolute smash success. You know what it was? It, it was this definitely- This movie made three quarters of a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely that aggressive ad campaign, you know, watching that opening scene. There's Fortune scene. 500 companies where their, their profit is lower than that. Okay, Martin, this movie has a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it really that bad? This movie was horrible. I hated it. I hated every aspect of watching it. The acting's terrible. The, there is no story, really. It's kind of strewn together in a horrible, mishmash kind of uh, hodgepodge way. The CG is great, but I'd rather go play a video game or something if I wanted something like that. Yes, this movie is that bad. I give it a 2 out of 5 because some of the scenes were entertaining. As for me, is it really that bad? Yes. Yes, it is that bad. This movie is really interesting. It's like, like I said before, I don't know how it is that a movie that's so over the top and insane and has such amazing special effects can be just so downright boring. It's way, way too long and drawn out. Like, this movie could have benefited from a heavy, heavy editing. I mean, we can only see people outrun a tsunami so many times. Once is enough. Okay, and something that's interesting that I was thinking about was in the last episode when we reviewed Law Abiding Citizen, one of the critics called that the most nihilistic movie he ever saw. What about this thing? I'm going to say that this is probably the most nihilistic thing I've ever seen. You know, how are we expected to care about any of these characters when we just watched a movie that glorified billions of people being murdered off the, you know, just randomly, just random people just being crushed and smashed and destroyed and you just don't care at all. I agree with you. And the only people that survived were the people that had billions of euros. Who am I supposed to root for? Because I don't, I don't really care. You know, there was no definitive hero. That's a good point. This movie, like I said, it was really boring. The effects are great. So would I ever recommend this to anybody? Not really. I would say that if you're a normal person, go check out the individual scenes on YouTube. Those are really cool. If you're like a special effects guy, yeah, go check this movie out. You'll want to see all the little things that they did. I don't think I ever want to see this movie again ever. So on a scale of one to five, yeah, I'm going to go with a two out of five. And the two is only because of that opening Los Angeles escape scene is just so well made. So that saves it from a one. We actually have some listener reviews on 2012. Let's see what we got here. Tom writes in and says, 2012? What a steaming pile of dog waste. Gotta love the, oh my God, we gotta get out of here now. Tired, overused script hack writing where they fly out of a situation just in time to avoid being swallowed up by something. Best part of the flick? Woody Harrelson's over-the-top wacko character. And the ending? Please, how many films have used this, I gotta swim underwater holding my breath to save the ship a kid, my family, etc. Did he die? Oh no. Oh wait. Yeah, he made it. Ugh. Again, hack writing. It just proves that you can't just rely on effects laid in shots to cover a bad story, bad writing, cookie cutter characters. Come on. The Russian guy and his two kids, they look like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. That's a phenomenal take on those two kids. <laughs> they look exactly like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. We also got a couple of voicemails, so let's listen to that right now. To listen to your messages, press 1. Hey, guys, it's Joel from Indiana. Hi, I'm Josh from Ohio. And this is Chris from San Diego. Here to give you a quick little review on the movie 2012. The movie is awful. It makes no sense. Hey, it's cool. It's on Blu-ray. It looks nice. I don't think it's that bad. The movie sucked. The 
screenwriters completely just gave up on any kind of science at all and decided that lava would work. Maybe they should just change to the movie to 20. Oh, thank God we weren't standing there five minutes ago. Oh, and thank God we found a trailer that outruns a volcanic flow. What the movie lacks makes up for uh, with its uh, computer, you know, whatever. I think that's, that's that's what the movie's basically is, just a visual spectacle. Like, just like just don't give a shit about the plot. You know, don't give a shit about anything. Just watch uh, what he's trying to show you. Please save yourself, save the audience, save everyone the trouble of just forgetting that this movie exists. I, I remember seeing it, and I remember laughing at how terrible it was, but I don't really remember any distinct qualities about any of the characters. The movie sucked. Uh, I like John Cusack. Anything he's in, it's pretty fucking good. The only thing that was that, that even remotely saved this film would have been Woody Harrelson, and that was too... Even he couldn't say, oh. Uh, if there's any any bad things about the movie, uh, I'd say maybe Amanda Peet's acting. Again, Amanda Peet, man. <sighs> Horrible actress. The movie sucked. But the one thing that I actually vividly remember about this movie is it was terrible all the way through, except for this tiny little moment of, like, sweetness on one of the arcs, air quotes, at the, towards the end, when one character had carried on another character's novel, and they talk a bit about art and what makes something a classic, and the idea that all of our libraries have been destroyed, and we've lost all of our great works of fiction, so whatever people brought with them are new great works of fiction, and... I was a little annoyed at the idea that PDF files didn't exist and there were no Kendalls, but the overarching theme that when one thing ends, whatever remains is the classics of that period seems really interesting. And Save yourself. Save that little piece of your soul that you can never get back. I think it's a good movie. Yeah, I think it's a good movie. The movie sucked. Not that bad. Yeah, it was that bad. <laughs> End of new messages. Wow, that was great. That was great. <laughs> All right, let's read some listener mail. I have mixed feelings about Law Abiding Citizen. It was one of the only movies that I have seen in the theaters that I came out of angry at the movie. I love the movie up until the ending. I really wanted to see the mayor get blown up. It is extremely rare for me to hate a movie, even when it is really, really bad. I mean, I even saw Garfield in the theaters. Often, the only time that I get angry at a movie is not when it's terrible, but instead when you see a path that the movie could have taken instead that could have made it a timeless classic. Signed, Hobo. <laughs> Great name. Yeah, so what do you think of that? I don't know if this movie would have been a timeless classic. Law-abiding citizen? Yeah, that's that's a little bit of uh Actually, this happens all the time, actually. When you yeah, see a movie does. that has an amazing premise and they just completely squander it. So yeah, I can see why that would piss them off. Okay, uh, next up. I'm glad you guys gave Law-abiding citizen such high marks, but I'm a little disturbed as to your reasoning. You enjoyed it when he killed the judge that was completely innocent? Would you have given it five stars if he killed some orphans and puppies? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, the answer to that question is a emphatic yes. yes. Okay. And for him, he says, the best revenge movie is Man on Fire. You guys probably don't like it because he only kills bad guys. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Hey, I uh, put it on the stance there that we are taking the position of like super villains. Okay, and here's some people answering the question of the week, which was, what are your favorite revenge movies? Okay, here we go. Uh, my favorite revenge flick is The Count of Monte Cristo. It is based on the novel, but in the way in which Jim Caviezel's character gains vengeance aims directly at the failures of the friend who betrayed him and leads to a climactic, albeit predictable ending. Marlene. I saw that movie. It was okay. It was all right. Okay, next up, Taken. 
Liam Neeson is 58 years old. That movie was out in 2008. So he was 54 years old at the time of shooting, and he's kicking that much ass. If you can get past the idea that the kidnappers just happen to kidnap this one random girl, and Liam's character just happens to be able to get them in breakneck speeds, then it's a non-stop, good old-fashioned beat-em-up revenge movie. Five stars from me, Rob. I agree with him. That's an awesome movie. That's a great movie. Yeah. And finally, the best all-time revenge movie has to be Man on Fire. Denzel Washington hacking off fingers and then using the car lighter, putting a bomb up the kazoo. Great stuff. Scott. I like Man on Fire. I, I don't like Man on Fire. I don't like Tony Scott's directing style, like that annoying flickering lights and colors and all that stuff. Kind of annoying. I don't find it annoying. I think it looks good. And I think, uh, for lack of a better word, that movie's badass. And here's, here's the new question of the week. In that voicemail, this girl, uh, the girl was talking about how it was interesting how they were talking about John Cusack's book. All the art in the world has now been destroyed. So John Cusack's book is now like the new literature because it just it's just what they happen to have with them. So that's the new society starts over with what they have. So here's the question of the week. If the world was coming to an end and you were going to go on the arc, what movie would you bring with you to represent whatever, you know? You can only bring one movie with you. So it doesn't necessarily have to be your favorite movie of all time, but it could be like, you know, this is the best example of this. Future societies need to see it. What do you think? I don't know. It depends on what genre I want to represent. This is the best vampire movie. You're bringing Twilight. No. No. No, I'm not. <laughs> fuck, fuck you. <laughs> As for me, I'm bringing Vantage Point. Future generations, they need to know about Dennis Quaid. <laughs> I'd hate for the future world not to know about the magic of Dennis Quaid. So, vantage point all the way. Leave a comment on this episode's page with the answer to the question of the week. Now is the time that we announce the winner of the listener's choice poll. First off, I want to make a huge apology to everyone out there. You know, I said that the theme was going to be Vin Diesel movies, but I foolishly thought that Vin Diesel wasn't too fast, too furious, but he is not. I, huge apology to everybody out there. Now it's time to announce the winner of the next Listener's Choice episode. And the winner is... Babylon AD. Uh, I don't want to watch this movie. Oh, God. This is going to be a rough one. <laughs> <laughs> but the people have spoken, and, and we will they, watch it. Yeah, I, I do this for them. Yeah. <laughs> so if you've seen the movie that we're going to be reviewing next week, leave us a voicemail at... 973-797-YEAH, and we'll play it on the show. This call is free to anyone in the continental United States. If you want to reach us, you can reach us at yeahitsthatbad at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please consider subscribing to the show. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes, and please tell your friends about the show by liking us on Facebook and talking about us on Twitter. See you next time. There's a thing in disaster movies where a plane is going to take off and it's not going to have enough runway, right, Joel? Classic. Like, like it's, a cla it's a classic in disaster movies. It's also classic that they're going to pull really hard on the yoke of the plane and somehow right before they crash into a mountain, cliff, building, other plane, whatever, ground, they all scream in the, in the cockpit. And somehow they make it. This movie was not immune to that. There's multiple scenes of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was the first one? Vegas? Well, I mean, no. The, the, the first plane scene, then the second plane scene, then the third plane scene. Did it happen <laughs> in every plane scene? Yes. Uh